and welcome along to the Property Academy podcast by Opus Partners. I'm your host, Tim Knight. I'm Andrew Nicholl. And today on the show, we're talking about negative equity. What is it? Who needs to worry about it? And what are the consequences if you are in negative equity? Andrew, tell us, what is negative equity? So that's when your mortgage is higher than the value of your property. So for example, you've got a million dollar mortgage and your house is now worth 900000 You've got $100,000 of negative equity. Now, why are we talking about negative equity? Why is it happening more today? Well, because property values are falling in most places around New Zealand. So comparing November last year to August in Auckland, we've seen a 16.3% drop. In Wellington region, we've seen a 17.9% drop. And in Christchurch, we've seen a 5.4% drop. Those are pretty chunky, eh? Big, big numbers. Now, if you bought then in November last year and you didn't put in a big deposit, you put in a 10% deposit, then you could have negative equity. That's right. Now, remember, that's 18% drop across the whole Wellington region. There'll be certain areas of that that might be slightly more steady. But as a whole region, Wellington and Auckland, hey, have seen some pretty significant drops. Now, some people are going to be feeling that and some people aren't. So let's talk about who's most likely to be in negative equity. So first of all, first home buyers, because they're more likely to buy with less than a 20% deposit, somewhere between 30 and 40% of first home buyers tend to use less than a 20% deposit. Those people are going to be most impacted. So let's say that there's a, a couple, let's call them Erica and Peter. They bought in Wellington in November with a 10% deposit and bought a 750k property. So that means their mortgage is... 675 grand. Now, if the property market falls by 17.9%, and let's assume their property moves with that market, that property that they bought for 750K is now worth just a touch over 615K. Now, that means that their mortgage is about $60,000 more than the property's value. So they've got negative equity of, in this case, $59,250. The other people who are going to be impacted, most likely to be in negative equity, are going to be property investors who borrow at 100%. Now, that's most of the people listening to the show, because if you buy a property with a 100% mortgage and the property market falls by 1%, even if it falls by 0.0001%, then you're going to be in negative equity because you borrowed all of the money in order to be able to purchase it. Now, that all sounds pretty scary, but let's talk about what the actual impacts of negative equity are. There are four main ones, right, Andrew? Yep. Number one is you lose money if you sell the property. So you do have to sell the property to actually crystallize those losses. And if you are doing this with a rental property where you've got another property that can still secure debt, you may end up with a mortgage without a property. So what I mean by that is if you bought an investment property for a million bucks, it dropped to 900,000, you sell it for 900,000 and you've still got a hundred and whatever the costs are, so 150K mortgage left over, but no rental property. Number two is you can't borrow more against the property to grow your investment portfolio. So if you're planning to buy three properties over the next five years and you're now in negative equity, well, you might not be doing that right away. Number three is you could pay higher interest rates if low equity margins are applied to your lending. And number four, you might just feel a bit stupid. And that's completely normal. You know, people always beat themselves up and go, oh God, I shouldn't have bought then. Everyone else was doing it. So I thought I was going to make some money and now the property's gone down. Well, let's talk about how you counteract those impacts and who's more likely to feel them because those aren't going to apply to everybody. So let's talk about number one, you lose money if you sell the property. Well, how could you counteract that? Well, for most investors, you've got a hold. 
because the property market will go up, it will go down over time. But if you hold on for long enough, we have seen that the property market and most asset markets tend to go up in value over time. So if you can hold for 10, 15 years, which is what you always plan to do when you bought that property, hey, that is going to help you counteract that. Now, most people will be able to hold, but some people can't. So expect to see some headlines where some people's situations are forcing them to sell and forcing them to sell for less than they purchase properties for. So, I mean, it will come up in stuff of the Herald, but remember that most people hold their properties if they live in them themselves for about seven years. And over that time, you will expect, and we see it in the Reserve Bank's projections, we will expect the property market to recover. But there will be some owner occupiers who have to sell. Maybe if you outgrow the house, maybe you've got to move for work, maybe if you sell out of emotion, maybe if you get sick or you have a relationship bust up and just have to sell. Well, what would happen in that case? Well, if you sell a property, well, if you sell a property for less than what your mortgage is, your debt doesn't get wiped out like in the States. So in the States, you used to, I'm not sure if you still can, but certainly you could in the GFC, hand the keys back, your mortgage is wiped now. That doesn't happen in New Zealand. What happens is it gets converted into a personal loan. So let's say million dollar mortgage, sell it for $900,000 after real estate fees, you've got $100,000 of debt left, you still owe that to the bank. And that will often get converted into a personal loan and you'll negotiate at whatever interest rate with the bank, but you still have to pay it back. So for some people, let's say you've got a big relationship bust up, well, rather than selling the property straight away, maybe it's a better idea if you both rent somewhere else and you keep that as an investment property, depending on the situation. There's a lot to think about, but that might be one other thing. Two other ways you could counteract that if you do find yourself having to sell a property. Step number two would be to renovate the property to try and increase its value above what you paid for it. Or step number three is start paying down your mortgage aggressively if you do have a very high LVR mortgage. Now, how might you counteract, Andrew, the second issue that you talked about, which is you can't borrow more against your properties in order to grow a portfolio? Well, step number four, which is that, is to split bank. But you have to have done this already. So this will impact first-home buyers who don't have a lot of equity because you can't really do much about this. But it won't impact you guys who have owned your property, your own home, since before the pandemic and benefited from the huge equity boom across New Zealand. And here you're talking about people who are going to struggle to grow a portfolio because they've seen prices fall, right? Yes, that's right. But if you've got a property with negative equity with the same bank as your main house, so you're an investor, you've got a property which is an investment and it's gone down in value, and it's with your existing bank where your main home is, then that will suck up your usable equity and stop you from borrowing as much. And actually, let's dig down into that. So let's talk about an owner-occupied property worth a million bucks with a mortgage of 300000 so therefore usable equity of 500000 and then an investment property, which you're purchased for 600000 it's got a mortgage of 600000 so therefore it's got negative 240 usable equity. Well, your net position is 260 usable equity. Now, let me just clarify this. So you've got your two properties in the same bank, own homes worth a million dollars. I've got still $260,000 that I can borrow for the deposits of other investments. Correct. Now, if house prices fall with no split banking, your own house is now worth 850, your investment property is worth 510, 
Well, now your usable equity has gone from 260 to a mere $86,000. So that usable equity has been sucked up quite drastically. And the main thing here is that that investment property takes up an extra $54,000 of usable equity from your main home. That's $54,000 that you could have used for the deposits of other investment properties that now you can't. And here we're assuming a 15% drop in the property market. But what would have happened, Andrew, if the property values fell by 15%, but you had used two banks, if you had done split banking? So your property has dropped to $850,000. Your usable equity is still one hundred and forty. dollars So it's dropped, but nowhere near as much. And the main point here, I know there's a lot of math in here, guys. So I've actually, Andrew and I were talking about how much math are we going to go into? I've been cut off about five times, people. But the main point here is if you had used split banking, then your investment property dropping in value will not impact the usable equity in your main home. And that's because your exposure is limited to the initial deposit mortgage that you took out to buy that investment property. So it's still 240k in this instance. Now, what does all of that math mean? Well, If you hadn't split banked, you wouldn't be able to buy another investment property because you could only pull out $86,000 if they're with the same bank. What's that going to let you buy? Well, 430k new build, and you're not going to buy anything for that in today's property market. But if you had split banked, you'd still be able to buy a 700k new build. So if you didn't split bank at that example, you couldn't buy another investment property. If you had split banked, you would be able to buy another investment property. And that's because, again, your exposure is only limited to the deposit mortgage. Because if your investment property in this example falls in value and you did split bank, well, your main bank is not seeing that because they're not using it as security. They're not lending against that investment property that went down in value. And so splitting it out, hey, that could have helped you get into that next investment property, which is why we've been banging on about it for three years. Okay, that was all very mathy. <laughs> Let's move on to the two other effects. What if the bank now forces you to pay a higher interest rate because you're what we call a low deposit or low equity borrower? Because those special rates, those low interest rates that you see on billboards and on TV, that only applies for people with 20% equity within the property. If you don't have 20% equity, you're going to pay a higher interest rate when you take out new lending. But do you know what? Banks aren't going to enforce this. In fact, I saw an ANZ spokesperson quoted in stuff saying that, quote, unless a customer is looking to borrow more, the bank is required to use the original valuation. So look, nothing changes for customers from a pricing perspective. They mean interest rate perspective. Customers in that situation, look, they're not going to be required to pay a low equity premium and will still have special pricing for under 80% LVR. So Main thing there, how are you going to stop yourself from getting a higher interest rate or being forced to pay a high interest rate? Don't apply for more credit against that property. Don't apply to increase the size of that mortgage or anything that would trigger a new valuation for your property because you want the bank to still use the old valuation. And Andrew, how do you tackle the feeling dumb? Yeah, well, <laughs> what, why'd you target me with this? Well, just remember, not everyone feels like this, but some do. I guess when I'm dealing with an investor where maybe this has happened, I'll just assure them that if the property price had gone up in the same period of time, 
you wouldn't actually see the immediate benefit of that either. So unless you sell, you're not actually going to realize any growth or losses. So you've just got to stay the course and look to the long term. And one thing that's interesting to think about is how prevalent is negative equity? Now, I did see some stats from CoreLogic that estimated just at the end of August 2022 that maybe 500 people who bought at the top of the market might be in negative equity. It's not a huge amount. No, this could increase as prices fall, but might be up to 28% of people who bought at the peak. But one thing that's important to note as well is that official statistics will underestimate how many people have negative equity Mm. because for most investors... Yep, we borrow 100% of the purchase price to buy that. But the official statistics won't pick that up because we split our mortgages out. We'll borrow 20% or 40% against one house and then borrow the balance, which will be 60 to 80% against the actual investment. And so banks won't see that actually we have borrowed 100%, but our mortgages are not set up that way. So it will underestimate that. Yeah, but would you count that as negative equity? I wouldn't. I'd, I think once it drops below 80%, the amount that's on the new rental property, that would be when you're in true negative equity. Well, you won't be in negative equity from a portfolio perspective, mm. but you would certainly feel that way. Sure, sure. So last thing, to wrap this up, I want to do a rapid fire, Andrew, about what's the bank going to do. So is the bank going to force me to increase my repayments to pay down debt if I'm in negative equity? No, not for residential property, maybe for commercial or if you're deemed commercial on the bank size because you've got multiple investment properties, residential investment properties. Now, is the bank going to take money out of my revolving credit that I've paid in there and cancel some of that revolving credit? Sometimes you might see them look at assessing that limit because remember, a revolving credit is what's called an on-demand facility. So depending on if you've got an annual review with the bank, they may look at reducing your limit sometimes. Are they going to cancel my credit cards? No. Are they going to force me to sell? No, no. They want you to keep paying the interest. There's no incentive for them to make you sell. Especially because that means they're going to lose a customer in a market where banks are increasingly quite competitive. Look, let's wrap it up there, but please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. It really does help us get the message out to more people. And hey, why don't you come along to our upcoming webinar? It is going to be on Tuesday, the 11th of October at 7pm. And this is where we are launching the pre-sales of our book. Yes. So we're going to take you through the eight steps to retire on real estate, which is the central premise of our book, Wealth Plan. And that's the date we are going to release the tickets for our book launch and we are going to launch pre-sales that night. So if you've been hanging out for this, if you're looking for a Christmas present for your family, come along to the webinar. It is going to be a great time. 11th of October, 7pm. Links down in the show notes. Tap or swipe over the cover art. It's in there. Or just go to opuspartners.co.nz slash webinar. listening to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Kevin McKnight. And we're going to be back again tomorrow with even more daily strategies, tactics and insights to help you get the most out of the New Zealand property market. Until next time, 